Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. There is so much about our world we still have yet to understand. The oceans of this planet, for example, remain mostly unexplored, at least 80% of them. And there are artifacts that have been discovered throughout history that continue to defy explanation. The Antikythera mechanism, which has been called the oldest analog computing device ever found, was discovered in an ancient shipwreck off the coast of the Greek island of the same name. There isn't anything else like it, especially from the era in which it was made. There are also the Drapa Stones, 10,000-year-old discs found in Chinese caves in 1938. They were analyzed and experimented on by experts from all over the world, but no conclusion was ever drawn as to the reason for their being there. But some unexplained phenomena hit a little closer to home, like Dighton Rock. Dighton Rock's existence was first recorded by Reverend John Danforth back in 1680. Danforth was a colonist who sketched the carvings he found on the side of the rock. The carvings, known as petroglyphs, were comprised of various lines and geometric shapes. Although Danforth's interpretation wasn't too accurate when compared with other descriptions of the rock from the same time period. Dighton Rock was a 40-ton sandstone boulder measuring 9.5 feet wide by 11 feet long and 5 feet tall. When it was first discovered, the flat side bearing the petroglyphs had been turned out toward the water, as if the symbols had been intended as a greeting or maybe a warning for ships sailing toward the shore. In the years since its discovery, numerous theories about the symbols have been proposed. For one, who wrote them in the first place? Petroglyphs had been found carved onto the side of rocks and stone walls by the indigenous peoples of the area before, so it was assumed that they had done the same here. Meanwhile, Brown University co-founder Ezra Stiles suggested in 1783 that perhaps the ancient Phoenicians had come to America and left behind a trace of their culture in the form of carvings on the side of this rock. And even as recently as 2002, another theory suggested that the Chinese had arrived in America before Columbus and had carved the symbols into Dighton Rock. However, it was Carl Christian Raffin of Denmark who put forth a theory that stuck with the stone for nearly a hundred years. Carl was a historian who had built his career on the study of Norse culture and language. Like others, Carl believed that someone else had beaten Columbus to the New World, except that it wasn't the Chinese. It was the Vikings. Other scholars added on to his work in the following years, helping to confirm and perpetuate Carl's theory as the truth. Unfortunately, the whole premise fell apart in 1916, when Brown University professor Edmund Delabar examined the rock for himself. With the help of a camera, he photographed it in different lighting scenarios to get a comprehensive view of all the markings, especially those that had been hard to see. 
He discovered the year 1511 had been carved underneath some of the other etchings, as well as the letters M, I, G, and U. Through careful analysis of the surrounding symbols, Delabar was able to make out the name Miguel Corteriel. Miguel had come from Portugal to North America to search for his missing brother, Gaspar. Neither man returned home, but according to Delabar, Miguel had arrived in Massachusetts and carved his name into Dighton Rock. He'd also carved a bit of Latin, which translated to, by the will of God, leader of the Indians. According to Reverend John Danforth, that first person to mention the rock in recorded history, the indigenous people had told stories about men from a faraway land who had killed their chief. They very well could have been talking about Portuguese explorers like Miguel and Gaspar. Of course, even such a thorough and thoughtful analysis would eventually find its way to the debunked list. Journalist and historian Douglas Hunter tore apart Delabare's theory in a book he published in 2017. So, what's the truth behind Dighton Rock? Who put it there? Who carved the symbols into its side? The truth is, nobody has the answer. All they have are ideas and theories. But if anyone wants to check it out for themselves, all they have to do is head over to Berkeley, Massachusetts, and the Dighton Rock State Park. The boulder was moved from its original home on the Taunton River to a tiny museum in the park in 1963. Today, the public can view the petroglyphs up close while they speculate to their heart's content. And, you know, rock out. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Inventors are no stranger to malfunction. Edison famously told a reporter once that he didn't fail 10,000 times in the creation of the light bulb. He merely found 10,000 ways that it didn't work. The act of invention is one of trial and error. It takes extensive planning and testing before the final product is ready to be received by the public. But sometimes no amount of testing can prepare an invention for the real world. And nobody learned that lesson harder 
than Alexander Graham Bell. Bell had started inventing when he was still a child growing up in Scotland. He built a de-husking machine for a neighbor's flour mill when he was only 12 years old, followed by a way to communicate with his deaf mother using a series of finger taps and gestures. It was actually his mother's loss of hearing that influenced his later work in studying the travel of sound and, ultimately, the creation of the telephone. But while Bell is known today for helping to connect people by voice all over the world, he also invented early versions of some pretty powerful tools, one of which was put to use in 1881 during a rough time in American political history. A man by the name of Charles had made a name for himself as a terrible lawyer and a thief. After being chased out of Chicago for stealing from his clients and not paying his bills, he settled down in New York City with his wife where he started focusing on national politics. There, he got involved with the Democratic Party and supported candidate Horace Greeley over the current Republican president Ulysses S. Grant. But his support came at a price. Charles started believing strange things throughout the campaign, like how if Greeley was elected, that he would make Charles the ambassador to Chile. Things only got weirder from there. Charles published a religious text, much of which was plagiarized from the work of radical American preacher John Humphrey Noyes. He was the founder of a utopian commune called the Oneida Community, of which Charles had been a follower. After that, Charles spent years traveling and preaching, going from Boston to Washington, D.C., until finally winding up back in New York. And as the Republican Party began to split into two in 1880, Charles chose to back the stalwarts, conservative-minded Republicans who supported the civil rights of African Americans against the moderate liberals on the other side of the party. The stalwarts wanted Grant to be the Republican nominee, and Charles threw his full support behind him, a stark change from his backing of the Democratic candidate just 10 years prior. However, the Republicans wound up nominating someone else, James Garfield, and so Charles shifted his support to the new nominee almost immediately. And Garfield won the election, and Charles believed that he had been responsible for the man's success. He moved to Washington and started writing letters to the president, demanding a consulship position in Paris. Unfortunately, Garfield ignored his pleas. Charles was a nobody, and the new president had more important things to do than entertain the wild fancies of one of his more troublesome constituents. Well, Charles didn't like that. He felt that without his help, Garfield would have lost. And the more he thought about it, the more he found issue with several of Garfield's policies. As a result, his adoration of the man turned into animosity. He thought the country would be better off if Vice President Chester A. Arthur was president instead. And so on July 2nd of 1881, Charles Gateau waited for Garfield to arrive at the Baltimore and Potomac Railroad Station in Washington, D.C. The president was headed out for a summer trip when Charles stepped out of the shadows and shot him twice in the back. He was arrested immediately on his way out of the station, and Garfield was transported to the White House for care. Doctors were summoned, as was inventor Alexander Graham Bell, who was living in Washington and had invented a new kind of device to locate the bullet. It had come about as part of his development of the telephone. Bell had been trying to eliminate static in the device when he noticed that the closer he brought a metal object to the receiver, the louder the buzz it created. Bell's new invention utilized some fairly simple materials, too. One coil connected to a battery and a buzzer, while another coil was fastened to an earpiece. As he passed one coil over Garfield's body, Bell would listen for the clicking in the earpiece, indicating that one of the metal bullets had been located. Unfortunately, he ran into a few problems. For one, the new addition to the machine that was meant to improve performance 
actually resulted in even more interference than before. He took the whole thing back to his lab and made a few adjustments before returning to the White House to try again. It failed a second time, though. Dr. Willard Bliss, the president's personal physician, swore that the bullet was on the right side of Garfield's body, a point that he kept impressing upon Bell, so that's where the inventor focused all of his efforts. He heard the clicks in his earpiece, a sure sign that he had found something, but there was nothing there. The president eventually succumbed to infections caused by his wounds two months later, on September 19th of 1881. What Bell didn't know at the time, though, was that his machine had worked perfectly. There had been metal on the right side of Garfield's body, but not inside him. Rather, it had been underneath him. Bell was detecting the bed springs. The bullet, on the other hand, was found during the late president's autopsy on his left-hand side, not his right, as the doctor had insisted. In order to help the 20th president of the United States, Alexander Graham Bell had whipped up a little thing called a metal detector. Sadly, even after two attempts, Bell couldn't get it to do what he had hoped, and so he had to bite the bullet and accept his loss. But his creation would eventually go on to help soldiers locate landmines during wartime and assist beachgoers in their search for buried treasure. So it wasn't a complete failure. It was simply a bellwether of what was to come. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.